This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. In a world without a single unified voice, humanity has been left searching for answers to the unknown. Now, one podcast has the power to change that and to spread its voice across the earth for all mankind to hear. Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. When we get snow in Alabama, it doesn't take very much to just shut down everything. So yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty. We like it and everything, but we, we kind of dread it coming because we know mm-hmm. everybody's just going to be stuck where they are for. Yeah, a day or you two. don't have the machinery and stuff because right. it mm-hmm. never snows down there. Not much. We get maybe one snow a year, and it's usually only a couple of inches. But six to eight inches just dumping on us at one time was was crazy. But oh John's here. John. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what up, people? Hi, John. How are you? I am well. How are you, sister? I am good. I'm ha- I'm well. Doing my thing. <laughs> That's great. I think I'll I think I'll just use the Skype recorder for this instead of everybody recording themselves. Okay. So we'll go ahead and uh, let me pull my notes up and I'll go ahead. And... I don't know what John's doing to his mic. <laughs> what are you doing? I was, <laughs> was going to say I was adjusting myself, but that sounds bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. My name is Sean Ray and sitting across the virtual table from me is a guy that knows that Poe Dameron is not a panda. John Irons, how are you sir? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Because because, uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda, his name was Poe. It was corny, I know. (laughs) You know what else is named Poe? Purple Teletubby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the one that carried the little... Was that the one that carried the purse? No, that was... Uh, the yeah, purple. no, he, he did carry the purse, yeah. I think, and I I, I I don't know why I know that. Well, I know why I know this, because I have children, but um, mm-hmm. Poe was the red one. The purple oh. one. The purple one's name was Tinky Winky. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I stand corrected. Yeah. Why do I know right, Teletubby folks. stuff? You never because, know what you're gonna learn on Cosmic Potato. Yeah. When my do- when my daughter's 16 now, so obviously she doesn't watch it anymore. But when uh, when she was little, that was on all the time at my house. But anyway, with uh, that that is the voice of Miss Hai Chambu. How are you? Man? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, great. Great to have you. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a few months since you've been on, I think. But um, I think to start the show off, we should play the IMDB game just to uh, break the ice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up the website, IMDB, the Internet Movie Database. uh, And hi, Chan. I don't know if you've played this game with us before, but... um, the way it works is I'm going to pick an actor or an actress and I'm going to put their name into IMDb and I'm going to pull up a list of everything that they've ever been in. And I'm going to go back to the very beginning, like the first movie that they were in. I'm going to leave out TV shows and stuff like that, but I'm going to start naming off the movies that they were in and the year that they came out. And as I go down the list, it will come closer to present day. And uh, and so what you guys are going to try and do is guess who I'm talking about based on the movies that I'm calling out. And we have to guess before the time you finish call, um, naming their 
uh, yeah, TV if, shows or if, movies. Yeah, if Ideally. I get to a, if I get to the last thing that they were in and nobody's guessed, which I don't, I don't foresee that happening. But uh, if I get to the last thing that they were in and you haven't and nobody's guessed anything, then nobody will get a point for that round. Okay. And I'm look. I don't think I have anything to write with. Yes, I do. Excuse the sound of me wrestling through my desk looking for a looking for a pencil. But here we you go. You know, you can you can buy stuff on your computer too. It's well, I'm looking at IMDb on my computer, so it's easier to just uh, to just keep score on a piece of paper. So, all right, let me look up this first name. I have a list of names. We'll do five since there's two of you. That'll eliminate the uh, opportunity for a tie because that has happened before a couple of times. We had a tie, and I'm like, well, I didn't have a tiebreaker, so I guess it's a tie. Okay, so putting the name in, waiting for IMDb to catch up. Here we go. Okay. Uh And you don't you don't tell us you don't tell us male or female, right? You just, you just no. I I will call everyone an actor, but actor means male or female. Okay. So, just to eliminate that from call it, saying actor or actress, but okay, going back to the beginning of time with this person, uh, as in, and these are all actors, so you know sometimes we might do a filmmaker or something like that, but for the most part, these these are all going to be actors, so. Uh, okay. Okay, from 1981, The Dark End of the Street. Hold on, wait. Before we start, Okay. If we is this both of us yeah, playing? Okay. Yeah, yeah, whoever, yeah. Whoever guesses it first. It. Yeah, whoever guesses it first will get the point. Okay, got it. Uh, this person was in a lot of TV. I'm not naming TV movies, but they, they were in a lot of TV movies. Okay, 1992, School Ties. Uh, 1993, Dazed and Confused. Matthew McConaughey? Nope. 1993, no, that's a TV series. 1995, Glory Days. 1995, Mallrats. 1997, Going All the Way. Rob Lowe? No, not Rob Lowe. 1997, Chasing Amy. Kevin Uh, Smith? Kevin Smith? No, not Kevin Smith. Uh, 1997. Do what? I didn't hear that. What'd you say? The guy who was, uh, Jane. Guy, was no, <laughs> no, uh, 1997, oh, uh, Good, Good Will Hunting. Yeah, it was Ben Affleck. Okay. So John gets that point. Okay. That would have been my next, next guess. I didn't know he was in Days and Confused. Yeah, he was. He, oh, yeah, he, he, was he was the, the one that was, like, was hitting them with a paddle and stuff. He was like a bully. Yeah. Wasn't he? Yeah. It's been yeah. a long time since I've seen that movie. All right. I think they're making a TV series out of it. Uh, yeah, they're making a TV series out of basically every movie ever made now. Pretty much. And a movie out of every TV series, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Uh, pull up this person's filmography. Go to the beginning of time. Okay, 1993, The Crush. Uh, these are all TV movies... Alicia Silverstone. Yes, it was Alicia Silverstone. Wow. wow. <laughs> oh, really? Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get to I'm the second movie. Game. <laughs> Let me see wow. who the next person I had on my list. Okay. That is that is literally the only thing I know about that movie, and that is literally the only movie that I know she's been in. So. What? You don't know Clueless? Oh right. Yeah, Clueless she's fan. she's her, been in a lot. Her most Batman and Robin. Movie. <laughs> Batman yes, and Robin. Just sorry. <laughs> yes, I, I, I take it back. I I'm a little disappointed about the clueless uh, absence. I took it back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, going to this person's filmography and uh, 1987, Kiss Daddy Goodnight. 1988, Johnny B. Good. 1988, The Adventures Johnny of Depp. No, not Johnny Depp. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, shit. Uh, <laughs> keep going. going. Nineteen eighty-eight, dangerous liaisons. Nineteen ninety, uh, where the heart is. Uh, yeah. uh John Malkovich. No. Nineteen ninety. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Nineteen ninety, Henry and June. 
1991, Dylan Thomas. Are you sure it's not? Oh, wait, that was good. I have no idea. 1991, Robin Hood. 1992. No, it's, no, it's not. Uh-uh, neither one of those. Uh, field analysis. 1992, Jennifer Eight. 1993. When I get closer to, Thurman? yeah, it is in with Thurman. Oh na- man! <laughs> oh right. I was about to say when I get closer to present day, it starts getting easier because she was in Robin Hood. Yeah, she was made Marion in Robin Hood. Oh, oh. Well, I never actually. I, saw ba- I barely remember her in Munchausen. Hi, Chan. Uh, you you you've never seen Robin Hood. Right? I mean. I mean, it surprises uh, me that you've never seen Robin Hood, but it's not that great of a movie. It has some know, great people really in it. I never bothered to see it. It has it some great people like in it, but it's just not. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's. I'm not. I I don't really care for watching Kevin Costner try to try a <laughs> bad British accent. He didn't even try. No, that <laughs> makes it worse. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and it yeah. and it wasn't really British. It was just <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was, it was just his regular accent. Yeah. He didn't, <laughs> there was no efforts. Okay, this person, 1991 Jungle Fever, 1991 Strictly Business, 1991, this person was busy in 91, 1991 The Last Boy Scout, 1992 uh, Boomerang, Eddie Murphy. Uh-uh. No. Ni- 1993 1995. No, it wasn't John Goodman. Solomon and Solomon and Sheba. That's a TV movie, though. You wouldn't get that. It's, Ni- de- it's definitely a black person. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 19, 1995. Losing Isaiah. Okay, uh, I have no idea. 19, Washington? No. Uh. Uh-uh. 1996. It's going to get easier in just a minute. 1996. Executive Decision. 1996. Race the Sun. 1996. The Rich Man's Wife. 1997. Baps. Uh, 1998, The Wed, and that, that's a TV movie. Let me skip those. Is, is uh, it, 19, uh, 1998, Bullworth. 1998. Oh, Halle Berry. Yeah, Halle Berry. Oh. John, you've pretty much won, but I will. Uh, yeah, we'll go, he's we'll, won. We'll go ahead and do the last one. Uh, let me look on my notes and see who it was so I can look them up. Okay. Let me look this person up. Matthew McConaughey. No. <laughs> what if I said yes? That's it. <laughs> I'll be declare myself the winner for all the time. <laughs> all right. Uh, Nineteen. Wait a minute. Those those are TV movies. Let's go to an actual movie. Okay. Nineteen ninety five. Clueless. Uh, Nineteen ninety five. Halloween. The Cur- the Curse of Michael Myers. 1990s, no, uh uh-uh. 1996, The Size of Watermelons. 1996, Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, 1997, Uh. The Locusts. You can, I mean, you you spit it out. If you have one, even if I'm talking, just just spit it out. Uh, 1998, The Object of My Affection. Uh, 1999, 200 Cigarettes. 1999, The Cider House Rules. Uh, nineteen. No, the year two thousand. I'm, I'm confused. I'm sorry. I'm trying to like figure out who was overlapped between Clueless and Romeo plus Juliet. Still. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't. I don't know who this person is. Nine, uh, the year two thousand. Gen X cops two metal mayhem. Was that in the theaters? Wow. Donald Faison. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. I've never even heard of that movie. Okay. Two thousand one. Wet Hot American Summer. Uh. Two thousand one. The Chateau. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Hi, Chen. Oh, it's oh a yeah, point. I forgot Paul Rudd was in Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah. Yeah, he, was, he was. Let me go back down and I can tell you. He was Romeo plus Juliet. Dave he Paris. Was he was Paris. He was Paris. He was in Cider House Rules? Yeah, wow. he was He was a lieutenant. He, he was like in the army or something. So uh-huh. it was probably just a small, small role. Okay. Well, that was fun. Because uh-huh. <laughs> he, he's Ant-Man. Yeah. <laughs> small role. There you go. Okay, so let's uh, jump into our topic for this episode. We're going to be talking about our favorite one-setting films. These are movies that, for the most part, take place in one place. So maybe it's one house, or it's one building, or it's one prison cell, or whatever. So, um, 
the rules. I mean, we're we don't really have rules. What are rules? We don't. Uh, we'll loosen them up because you know any movie, even if it has one setting, it's going to have some scenes at the beginning and the end that are going to like set that up. So, sure. it, so there's not a lot of movies that like the whole thing takes place in one room. Um, other than the room, hi Chan. I meant to ask you: Have you seen the Disaster Artist? I have seen the Disaster Artist because I know that you you mentioned the room on this show like a while back, and I had wondered if you have seen it. Did you like it? I enjoyed it. Um, I actually had read the Disaster Artist to the uh, sort of memoir by Greg Sestero, and I really enjoyed the book more than I anticipated. It was sort of this interesting depiction of this toxic codependent relationship between or friendship rather between two men. And I really, I was really excited to see that depicted on screen. And instead I got this really earnest um, sort of look at, you know, the Hollywood dream and Mm -hmm. how, you know, you can achieve your dream if you want to, even if it's on the CD underbelly side of things. And it's like, it was a good comedy, but it felt a little bit sanitized for my taste. Well, Tommy Wiseau says that the book is like 40% accurate. But he well, said. But he Tommy says, Wiseau was, that, "Yeah." Tommy Wiseau also has still not revealed where he's from or how old he is. So who I knows? Know, I know what he tells. He says that the book is about forty percent accurate, but he says the movie, even though it's based on the book, is like ninety percent accurate. <laughs> the movie is like ninety percent conjecture, so I'm pretty sure it's just him doing wishful thinking. Yeah, especially well, the part where just... applauds and standing ovation at the yeah. end. That's like cut for cut from Briggsby Bear earlier this year. And I was like, wow, that was a really hopeful ending that obviously did not happen. But, you know, it's it's a movie. Yeah, I think it was mostly because they let him be involved and he got to like be on the set and stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he got yeah. to hang out with James Franco and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And he okay, got to so, be on the Golden Globes yeah, this year at yeah. the stage. So um, who wants to go first? Hi, Jan, why don't you go first since you're our guest? <sighs> Cool. Um, so my first pick is uh, 12 Clover- Cloverfield Lane, uh, which is directed by Dan-, Dan Trachtenberg and is set in the Cloverfield franchise, but it's sort of tangentially related to the first Cloverfield oh. movie. It's actually it, ten, it, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes, that's what I said. You said 12. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and it's a really great sort of uh, bunker set movie that um, is told from the point of view of this girl who's running away from her boyfriend, I think, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's uh, absolutely fabulous in this film. Mm -hmm. And she crashes and suddenly finds herself sort of taken prisoner in this underground bunker by John Goodman's character. And at first she is, she sees another um, man in there and she's trying to escape and get him to help her escape and um he she finds out that there's something lurking outside that she possibly was saved from but it's this big paranoid thriller about whether john goodman is lying to her to try to keep her inside and whether he has nefarious um nefarious uh, intentions or whether he's actually trying to protect her and whether she would be safer on the inside uh it's really great it's um it operates so well as just like its own uh, paranoid thriller and it actually was intended to be that way before it got folded into the Cloverfield franchise by uh, producer J.J. Abrams, who kind of tacked on a um, an ending at the a little scene at the end that tied it into the first Cloverfield movie. And it's, yeah, it's a great closed bunker movie that I highly recommend. Yeah, the, the movie is fantastic, and I was not expecting to like it. I got invited to a screening when it first came out, uh, I took my son with me, and I wasn't a big fan of the first movie. I mean, it was it was it was okay, you know, it was it was decent, it was watchable, but you know, it, it just felt like stuff that I had seen before. And um, when I so when I went to see this, I didn't really have high hopes, but I was just like, you know, it's free, you know, <laughs> so we'll go. And I ended up liking this movie ten times as much as I liked the original, and. Uh, the only gripe that I have is that if they had not tied this into the Cloverfield universe, 
there would be more mystery for the audience. Because John Goodman is going on and on about the yeah, atomic bombs have dropped and the whole world is ending and stuff like that. We as the audience know that that's not true. Because we know that this is happening at the same time that the first movie is happening. And it's there's, there's going to be aliens in this movie before the end of it. And um, if it had not been tied into Cloverfield, then we wouldn't have known that. We wouldn't have known if John Goodman was telling the truth or not. You see what I'm I saying? Never, I never saw the first Cloverfield, so I didn't know. Yeah, I actually I, hadn't I was, seen the first Cloverfield either, so this came as a complete surprise to me. It was a wonderful surprise to me. Okay. Well, well yes, this is a fair point. I mean, it, it's reasonable to assume that, you know, somebody will have seen both. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I love it. John, John Goodman is a fantastic actor that uh, doesn't get used enough. And just because he's not really leading man material, you know, he's not he doesn't look like Tom Cruise or whatever, so he gets relegated a lot of times to playing somebody's dad and stuff like that. But he made a really, really good bad guy for the, for that movie. And uh, But yeah, I enjoy it. And the fact that it only has three characters in the whole movie, you know was interesting so okay john go ahead with your first one uh my first one is a film that i just saw like a week ago maybe uh mother um i get why people love it and i get why people hate it (laughs) i i enjoyed it um but it's you got they're asking you to make a big investment up front before it pays off. So, so I, I get that um, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, for those of you who don't know what it's about, uh, good. You shouldn't. You should just watch it. Um, I, I think figuring it out is a big part of what makes the film enjoyable. Um, but it's also very frustrating because without the right context, it's just a film of people I let me ask before I keep going have you both seen it have you seen it yeah I was about to say I'm one of the ones that hated it I could, I did not like it because you say you say uh, what it was about and to me it wasn't about anything it was just a bunch of stuff that happened I under, I mean I know what they were trying to say right it just didn't I just I didn't get it I mean I got well, it but I didn't I didn't care <laughs> by the time it was over I was yeah. just like and this movie is supposed to be like critically acclaimed or whatever, and I'm like, I, I, uh, I don't like it. <laughs> hey, HG, have you seen it? Is she there? Hi, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was actually, I was weirdly, I, I respected Mother, but I was weirdly ambivalent towards it. I actually was mostly unnerved for the first two thirds, but I really enjoyed the last third, almost to a like masochistic extent i just liked how off the rails it was and i i did not like that darren aronofsky the director kept trying to interject his own sort of reading of the movie i like that when i was watching the movie itself i could come from my own opinion with of it and of what it meant and the allegory and everything whereas everyone i went to see it with had a different opinion of what the allegory was i like when a movie is open-ended like that Especially when it does something as crazy and lunatic as that last third. And um, I like that. Uh, it almost felt like a self-indictment by Darren Aronofsky of, you know, the male artist and how his fame and his ego is what actually kills the people he loves. And they suffer and sacrifice themselves for it. But, and, he, and he, in the end, takes that sacrifice that suffering and just builds it into another one of his art pieces. So I like that. I'm more so than his allegory about like mother earth and, and the environment. Cause that felt a little bit too shoved down my throat and like the biblical references and everything were like a little bit heavy handed. So um, I liked what he almost in, didn't intend to say more than anything. And I feel like Jennifer Lawrence was actually somewhat miscast in the role because while she's really great at uh, over the top performances that require a lot of physicality this performance required i think a lot of internality which i don't think she's quite good at in the end she kind of looked like she had a very just passive face the entire time and i feel like a an actress who has more like nuance in like their facial uh, expressions 
could do better with this. I don't have someone in mind right now. Maybe someone like Lupita Nyong'o would be really great. But yeah, um, I, don't know, I don't know what any actress could have done with this. Like, I mean, because the whole point is the 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 role is kind of set up to be the long suffering wife and everything. Yeah. yeah, right. Just kind of adorable. Like, like you know, again, you don't know. At least I didn't know what was going on. And, I, and like I said, like like you, you know, you figure it out over the course of the movie, and it's it's almost like it's not meant to be enjoyed. Oh yeah, it's time. a movie that aggressively it's, it's, attacks you and attacks all your senses, and it's yeah. like this is a movie that's happening whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I respect that. I think it's a really which audacious is, which film. Is, which is fine. It's it's it is meant to be enjoyed um, upon the second viewing mm-hmm. because now you got the decoder ring and okay, I see what you're doing. But it took you most of the movie to get there. Yeah. So. Well, I, I kind of got it halfway through the movie. I don't know if I would see it again because I, I kind of get the gist of it. And I feel like if I watched it again, I would see what Darren Aronofsky was trying to say and be annoyed <laughs> rather than, well, like, <laughs> come away with my own sort of interpretation of it, which I think I like to I like to stick with. And I'm, I like to have that impression of the movie more than anything. Yeah, it just, I mean, the whole thing, and I guess is, is what he was trying to do, but the whole thing seemed like uh, you're watching somebody's dream because there's all kinds of things that happen in this movie that seem like something that would happen in a dream, kind of like uh, she goes to the door and there's nobody there, and then she turns around quickly and now there's 50 people standing there, you know, that that kind of thing, um, and, uh, and, suddenly, was... and suddenly, like, major damage happening to the house, because somebody sat on a counter, you know that kind of stuff happens in dreams and doesn't necessarily happen in in real life. So I got yeah. the feeling that somebody was going to wake up at the end or something like that, and we were going to find out that this whole thing was a dream or whatever. And uh, go I ahead, John. I suppose you could actually make that argument. You could, you know, you can make a case for it all being a dream. I would make an argument that this movie is about bad house parties, <laughs> as opposed well, to the kid and play class. You, you probably have to Google that. Yeah, was it, yeah. House party, house party three, man. Uh, was uh, Aaron Oski? Was, was he? Is he the one that was saying that he was trying to tell a story about Mother Earth and all of that kind of stuff? That's what I've read. Is that the story yeah. is supposed to be about Mother Earth? And he like, was basically he, tying in all these biblical allegories, like you, mem- you know, with the the sons arguing, uh, like the Cain and Abel sort of story. I'm not Man, you can't, I won't spoil it. You can't, it. You can't spoil this They're movie. To, you can't spoil trying to, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's too good. to attach all these allegories to this message that Mother Earth is suffering and that we are slowly killing her because humans are inherently evil, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't get the sense, since we're, since we're going there, I didn't get the sense that humans were inherently evil. I just thought that they were um, kind of um, eternally selfish and uh, the creator was eternally forgiving. But meanwhile, you know, it's like, you're doing this in my house. And so, you know, it's great that they love you, but they're shitting on me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's like every person that's in every person that comes into their life is doing something terrible, you know, is, is destroying something or causing some kind of commotion or whatever. She wants them out. He wants to just, uh, whatever, let them do what they got to do. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, I, overall, I would say that I liked the film because kind of, kind of like you said, actually like, like I respect the artistry of it, but I didn't like it in the sense that, it, it was a pleasure to watch, but it was a pleasure to think about, I guess. Um, all right, Sean, what do you got? Okay, my first one is uh, Clerks. And uh, this is a movie that I've talked about on the show. I've, I've brought it up in other lists and stuff before because it's it's like a defining movie for me. Um it's the premise of the movie is that we're following Dante and Randall on a day of work. You know, Dante works at the quick at the quick stop, and Randall works next door at the at the video store. And we just follow them through their day, just doing what they do. And it's the it, the movie is is dialogue driven in a manner that only Kevin Smith could do. This was Kevin Smith's first movie, 
and uh, he did it on a shoestring budget because he uh, he dropped out of film school so that he could get his tuition back to pay for this movie and maxed out all of his credit cards to get enough money to, to finish it. He filmed it in black and white basically because it was cheaper. <laughs> and uh, and the guys, you know, the guys in the movie, they just talk about the kind of stuff that I talked about at that time. The, the, the film came out in 93, I think. So it was right around the time that I was graduating. I graduated from high school in 95. So it was right around the time that I was a junior, senior in high school. And uh, they talked about the kinds of things like, uh, they talked about Star Wars a lot. And, but they, but but they would, but they would do a twist on it, and they would talk about how terrible it was that nobody thought about the the stormtrooper that was like the plumber on the Death Star, and he got killed, and he couldn't go home to his family that day, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's, it was a really uh, a good movie, and the entire thing, well, almost the entire thing takes place in the quick stop. So they're in the they're in the convenience store almost the entire time. Um, you guys have seen Clerks, right? Yeah, I have. Okay. Hi, Chen. You've never seen Clerks? Oh no, I have not. Oh, okay. They uh, they made a second one. They made a Clerks two that was not nearly as good, but still entertaining. I mean, it was a Kevin Smith movie. They were supposed to make a Clerks three, and I may be dropping a little bit of information, but I I met. You know, Ming Chen was here on the program last year, and I met him in person at the Magic City Con. John, you met him too, right? Yeah. Yeah, at Awesome Con. Uh, but he said in one of his panels that they were going to make a Clerks 3, but one of the main cast members decided at the last minute that he didn't want to do it, and it was somebody that they couldn't make without it. So I, I guarantee it was either... Uh, the guy that played Dante or the guy that played Randall, which I can't remember any of their actual names right now. So, <laughs> and I'm get if I had to guess, it would be the guy that played Randall because Dante has done some other stuff with Kevin Smith since then, and uh, the other guy you don't see much. So, After these messages, we'll be right back. hey, we're the Millennial Falcon Podcast, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. We're hosted by Anya Crittenton. Hi, Chen Bui. And Willoughby Dobbs. The three of us met in college, bonding over Game of Thrones and Disney. While we've moved past Game of Thrones, we now bond once a week in a podcast that covers everything from superheroes to musicals to summer reading to Pokemon Go. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Falcon Podcast and listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Come for the hot takes, stay for the snark and puns. And the friendship that lasts forever. Hey everybody, I'm Troy. And I'm AJ. And we're the hosts of the World War G podcast. And we know Sean and John do great things. But if you need just that little bit more nerd in your life. A little bit more geek in your week. Then head on over to worldwarg.podbean.com. Where we talk about everything from movies and television. Comic books and video games. Check us out at worldwarg.podbean.com. Back to you, Sean. What's your next one? Um, my next pick is Rear Window. It's the Alfred Hitchcock movie starring James Stewart and Grace Kelly. And it's 
sort of set place takes place in one in one uh, setting. It takes place in one apartment building, and um, it's the photographer played by James um, James Stewart who. Uh, has a broken leg and is forced to only sit at his window and stare at the other residents of his apartment building for his whole days until his leg heals. And Grace Kelly plays his girlfriend or fiance who visits him from time to time um, in beautiful fashion, fashionable, sorry, in beautiful fashionable gowns. And um, he ends up just being as this sort of voyeur, it really plays into the whole voyeuristic aspect that Hitchcock loves. And you see sort of the day-to-day lives of all the residents of this apartment building. And he has nicknames for all of them. Uh, I can't remember the exact nicknames, but they're always really funny and kind of um, and a little bit wry. Like he has a nickname for this girl who is often working out and then, see, then having a lot of male visitors. And he has a nickname for this um, sad sort of man who's always at his window and then another pair, another name for the um, couple who are, are always arguing at their window. And uh, one, t- one day while he's watching these people, he see, he witnesses a murder of uh, between the couple who was arguing and uh, the man who had murdered his wife um, almost gets away with it until James Stewart deigns it upon himself to try to solve the murder and catch him red handed before the husband moves the, his wife's, body out of the apartment so it become it's a huge it's a really suspenseful thriller despite it taking place in one room and really with a um protagonist who can't move but it's so excellent like the way that the one scene we have where james stewart is watching grace kelly's character uh go into the murderer's apartment to try to find evidence of the murder of of his wife james stewart can see the husband coming in and it's this really tense moment where he's trying to warn her and you don't know what's going to happen. Alfred Hitchcock does a great job with that sort of same people in the same frame suspense mm-hmm. um, yeah. that is that plays out wonderfully in Rear Window. Yeah, I, I had that on my list too, but um, it was um, one thing that I had was that th- this movie kind of walks this this weird line because Sometimes it's a comedy, and sometimes it's a romance, and sometimes it's a it's like a thriller movie. But Hitchcock was good at doing stuff like that. You know, he he never really got you let you get bored with one specific kind of uh, kind of genre in a lot of his movies. Uh, they made it. Did you know that they made a remake of that movie? Uh, yeah, that's. Disturbia, right, with Shia LaBeouf? No, no, no. They they actually made a film called Rear Window. It came out in 1998, and it starred uh, uh, Christopher Reeve. Mm. Um, and this was after his accident, so he was he was in the wheelchair. Uh. And in this in this version, it was a TV movie. Uh, in this version, he's he, you know, obviously he doesn't just have a broken leg; he's a quadriplegic. But uh, I mean, it didn't get that great of. Uh, reviews and stuff but it had christopher reeve and it had daryl hannah was the part that um grace kelly had played but yeah disturbia was also a remake of rear window um with shia labeouf except shia labeouf was a unruly teenager who was under house arrest and couldn't leave his house if his (laughs) and his ankle bracelet so his ankle bracelet would beep if he did so that was like the big sort of uh withholding factor yeah yeah how was it did you see it <laughs> and for some reason, I, when I hear the name of it, I'm thinking I pro- I think I've seen it, but I don't remember enough about it to form an opinion. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, um, John, I know it's your turn. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my next one next, just because uh, it kind of goes off the same Hitchcock thing. Because my next my next one is a Hitchcock film. And since uh, Hai Chan was talking about that, sure. uh, Dial M for Murder is also a Hitchcock film. And it also had Grace Kelly in it, and uh, it takes place uh, for the most part. I think the in, well, almost the entire film takes place in the apartment, except for one scene where Grace Kelly is in the apartment and she calls her husband at the restaurant. They show him at the restaurant. Other than that, it's in, it's in the uh, it's in the apartment. But the premise of this movie is that uh, he wants to kill his wife. He hires a man to to sneak into the apartment to kill her while he's gone for the evening 
and in the ruckus, the the guy that he hires actually gets killed. So to cover his tracks, he frames his wife for that guy's murder and gets her sent to prison. And then that's what the movie is about: is her trying to to prove that she didn't do it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's yeah, it's it's a good movie if you, if you like. To watch classic films, you know, both these Rear Window and, well, really, I, I like just about every Hitchcock movie that I've ever seen, I liked. I haven't seen them all. I've seen the big ones that you that you hear all the time, The Birds and Psycho and stuff like so, that. But I've, I've never seen Dial In for Murder. So what is, what is the one setting where it takes place? In the apartment. It takes place in their apartment. Oh, this is like happening. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, okay. he, he he hires this guy to come to the apartment. The way the movie starts, you, you see a conversation with him and his wife, and then the next scene, this guy comes in that he's hiring to come and kill her while he's gone the next day. And then, you know, the next scene, the guy was breaking into the apartment, and it, and it all takes place there in that apartment. Got it. So, yeah. Okay, go ahead, John. I'll let you do your next one. Um, all right, this one is less known. It's available on Netflix. This is Circle, not to be confused with The Circle, which is the Tom Hanks Emma Watson movie. Yeah, I was about uh, to say. Yeah, I, I know you were. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Circle from uh, 2015, and it's you know it's largely it's like a indie low budget film. The, the only actor that you might recognize, or at least the only one that I recognized, was uh, Julie Benz, who was uh, oh yeah, who was Darla on Angel, and she was. The girlfriend on Dexter. Um, so um, aliens invade Earth, and so like the first scene is you know like people are trying to flee the cities, and then it just kind of goes black. And uh, next thing you know, you're in a room. Well, they're in a room. Um, like the the entire room is black except for the red circles that everyone is standing on, and it's it's fifty random people. And every two minutes, the aliens kill someone. Like, they zap them, and they die. And the people in the room quickly determine that they can... Basically, they can vote on who is the next one to die. So if if they don't pick anybody, just somebody at random dies. So it, it becomes this... Um, this psychological, socio-political—I'm probably putting too much. It's—it's it's this character study of of just humanity, and because like you have to get people to vote, you have to get random strangers to vote to kill this other random stranger, and like the reasons that people come up with as to why they should live, and this other person should die. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. There's, I mean, not only is it a single setting, like there's barely a set. It's like, <laughs> like it's literally, it's it's literally like a black room with with red circles, and they're they're you know fifty people in a circle, and it and slowly, you know, gets down to fewer and fewer people until you know the dramatic conclusion. Sounds like a Black Mirror episode. It it is very much like a Black Mirror episode. It really is. Um, I, I would if I would highly recommend it to anyone who liked uh, like Pi or uh, Primer. Um, and you said it's on uh, Netflix. This says it's on that, this says I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it says it was inspired by the 1957 drama Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that too. And at first, I didn't get it, but I can see it in the sense that these strangers have to convince other strangers, you know, basically over, you know, a matter of life and death. Yeah. For this yeah. other show. Tw- twelve I mean, angry men. I mean, that twelve angry men could could be on the list as well because it was. Uh, yeah, I thought about putting it on my list, um, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Hi, Jim. What's your next one? Uh, my next pick is Ex Machina, which starred uh, Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaac, as well as Alicia Vikander in sort of her breakout role. 
And it was about, it sort of takes place in one setting. It's the house that Oscar Isaac's genius inventor um, lives in. And Donald Gleason plays this employee of Oscar Isaac's character who gets a lucky chance to um, live, to stay in the house with with him a little bit. And it turns out that he has been selected to perform the Turing test on Oscar Isaac's, I can't remember the name, I'm sorry, Oscar Isaac's character, (laughs) Oscar Isaac's um, inventions, um, his his new AI, which is played by Alicia Vikander. And the Turing test is basically to determine whether an AI is capable of human emotion and human will. So it's a really sort of ethereal, strange movie that moves really slowly but builds up this unnerving tensity, uh, tension sorry, throughout the entire thing um, as Donald Leeson slowly falls in love with the AI and like takes pity on her and tries to free her. Um, and he can't tell whether that's her manipulating him into thinking that she passes the Turing test or whether she actually does. And it becomes this whole sort of web of paranoia where um, Oscar Isaac's character becomes increasingly sort of erratic as well. So it's it's these three characters plus another robot that um, appears throughout the film, played by a Japanese actress. And it's, it's a very sparse, um, beautiful film. It has a lot of interesting sort of uh, questions about what human will is and what human... Um, emotion is and whether we are AIs are capable of such things. So it's a, it's a really good, quiet, cerebral film. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it too. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I agree with everything you said. I don't really have anything to add. John, you've seen X Machina, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Okay. And I agree. And I agree with you, Sean, and that I agree and have nothing else to add. <laughs> Okay, well, the next one on my list is uh, Die Hard. This is another movie that I've talked about before. What do you you mean, what? No, no, I I get it. It's fine. It falls falls into the category. The the entire movie takes place in one building. I know, but it's huge, that building. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Eve because I'm one of the weirdos that considers it to be a Christmas movie. So... There's uh there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that say that uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and there's people that are wrong. The whole movie takes place inside the Nakatomi Plaza, and I think that's why when I was a kid, I think the first time I watched this, I was probably about 12 years old, and I fell in love with this movie, and it's because, I think now, looking back, that keeping it so small in an area, and, and that it just takes place in this one building... Uh, keeps it from becoming confusing and convoluted like a lot of action movies want to be. Action movies want to pretend like they're smarter because they make themselves more confusing, you know. And Die Hard wasn't confusing. It was a bunch of guys want to steal this this thing from this vault, and this guy wants to stop them. That's the movie. That's the whole, and that's all you have to know. And uh, you know, it was just it was a fun action movie. It was probably the first. Um, one of the first R-rated films that I ever saw and uh, one of the first big action movies that I ever saw and it kind of made me fall in love with action movies after that. So, uh, so yeah. But it, it it falls into the category. It, it takes place in one building. <laughs> so, and, right. uh, and a lot of it takes place on the one floor because they keep going back to Hans Gruber and he's, you know, he's there on that floor and John McClane is just above him somewhere so and uh one one day we're going to do a topic uh where we will talk about our favorite death scenes in films and this will be on the list again (laughs) because hans Hans gruber's death scene and that just the expression on his face when he realizes that he's about to die and you see it you know you see that happen on his face is just awesome so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's such glee in your voice I know, I know. well I mean I, I just watched, like I said I just watched it two weeks ago but there's a there's a scene at the end of the movie I mean I'm spoiling a 30 year old movie but um, 
so Hans Gruber's hanging from the building by Bonnie Bedelia's watch, basically. He's holding on to her. He's got her, her watch. And uh, John McClane just kind of reaches down and takes her watch off. And they show his face, and in slow motion, he starts to fall. He's looking right, basically right at the camera. And there's this change of expression where he goes from a menacing face, knowing that he's about to pull her out the window, to realizing that, no, he's falling, and, and, and that's going to be it. And you see it on his face, and it was just, it's its great. <laughs> okay. Who's next? John, are you next? Or, no, you, no, it's, it's high chance. Go ahead. Uh, my next choice and my last choice is Persona, which is a film from 1966 by Igmar Bergman. Um, and it stars Liv Ullman as an actress who is recuperating from a breakdown in an isolated country cabin. And she's joined um, soon by a nurse played by B.B. Anderson, who starts to become fixated and obsessed with her. And at some point, the two of them start to share a really deep connection that their own experiences start sort of, excuse me, start sort of inter- in overlapping and interweaving um it helps it doesn't help too that they look very similar so that whole idea of like their persona being shared and um Liv Ullman's character uh Elizabeth Volger who's such a famous actress like she um becomes like projected on because her face is everywhere and her identity is uh not really it's kind of malleable so it's this really interesting sort of exploration of identity and parallel I'm not parallelism identity and projection and connection and everything like that so it's it's a weird movie uh, that really feels very dreamlike and eerie but it's it's left a little a big impact on me and I liked it a lot okay I don't think I've ever heard of it I'll have to write that down is it on what did you say it was on Netflix I did not. I watched it in college. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, in a European cinema class, so that's probably why. Yeah, it's. I don't know how available it is, but it's a great film, so I recommend. I recommend seeing it. Were you about to say something, Josh? Um, I've, I've heard of it, um, and I think it was on my list, but I keep forgetting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, go ahead with your next one. Okay. Um, this is a British film from 2009 called Exam. Um, I think I think I owe a lot of this to Netflix because because Netflix, I, I this is before they started streaming, um, but uh, but they were still doing the hey if you like this you might yeah. like this yeah and I and I think that that might be how I saw this film or maybe it was Redbox but. Um, so it's another bunch of strangers in a room type situation. Um, but instead of 50 killing each other, there are, I think eight and they're like candidates for this job at this super prestigious, um, company. Like, the, you know, it, it'd be like, you know, a, like a Google level job or something or, yeah. or like Apple, you know, upper echelon. And so they're led into a room and, you know, there's no windows, to, in the room, they're all, they're like desks set up. <clears throat> Excuse me. They each they sit down at the desk. There's like a you know a sheet of paper on each of them that says like you know candidate one, candidate two for each of them. And there's a security guard at the door, and the guy explains the rules. The, the, another guy, the guy that let them in, explains the rules. Um, he says you cannot talk to him or the guard. You cannot leave the room, and you cannot, uh, like, mess up your paper. Like, you can't, like, he, he used the word spoil, but because they're British, but you can't, you can't mess up your, your paper. And you have 80 minutes, go. And so they, they, you know, they pick up their paper to open it up, and it doesn't, like, open. It's just a sheet of paper. Um, and so they have... 80 minutes to figure out what they're supposed to do and do it first and do it best to try to get this job. 
and it becomes it's it's this really intriguing uh, I don't want to say psychological thriller because the the stakes aren't so high that I would call it a thriller thriller but it is it is I like I like puzzles and I like games and I like I, well I like tests going too far but I like puzzles and and so this is this is kind of like that this is it's, it's almost like the 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 proto version of the escape room yeah um, you're not trying to escape you're trying to figure out what you have to do and then figure out how to do it and unlike those escape rooms where you're working with everyone you're actually in competition with everyone and um, it's in fact now that I'm thinking about it I wonder if someone saw this movie and they're like you know what <laughs> we can make, money, I can make a lot of money out of this um, but yeah this is also on Netflix I think um, uh, yeah yeah that's it and, and the, the pacing is really good like the, the, the rate at which they figure stuff out um, and obviously there's a, there's a ticking clock so uh, the, that's always um, counting down you have candidates that you kind of root for more than others. It's good. It was a good movie. Yeah. Okay. I might actually watch it again tonight. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next one, I, actually, I have two more on my list. Um, Dawn of the Dead. Um, I've got to work a zombie movie in yeah. here somehow. <laughs> so, sure. And uh, I, would really, I would really say that the first three of uh, Romero's of the dead movies fall into this category because Night of the Living Dead takes place in a farmhouse and Dawn of the Dead takes place in a shopping mall. And then day of the dead takes place in like an underground, uh, army bunker. But this one is my favorite movie of that series. I really enjoy this movie every single time that I watch it. The, the first 20 minutes or so kind of introduce the characters and get them out of their surroundings. But, uh, the majority of the movie takes place in a shopping mall where they're hiding out, trying to ride out the zombie apocalypse, trying to survive. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of a weird mall because it's one of those things in movies where they conveniently put what you need there. Uh, so this shopping mall has a gun store in it. I've never been in a shopping mall that had a gun store in it. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a, like a smart idea, but, uh, but obviously they, they put it there, uh, for the film, but, and it's a real shopping mall. It's, you can go there now, but it's it's all modernized. It doesn't look like it did in the in the film. But people still go there and you know take pictures of stuff and and things like that. But um, it's a it's a seventies movie, so some of that the visual effects are not up to snuff, you know. But if you like horror movie, if you like horror movies uh, that are like done on a budget, you know, it's good. It's there's some iconic uh, zombie scenes there and uh and if you like night of the living dead then you'll like this it's a very good continuation of that story and then you know they did a remake of probably i want to say a few years ago but it was actually closer to about 13 14 years ago um it also called dawn of the dead but they changed it so that the zombies are the fast running climbing kind of zombies and stuff and uh i i I don't like those kinds of zombies as much as I do the Romero zombies, the the kind that you see on The Walking Dead, the slow, uh, shambling kind of zombies. Uh, so yeah, Dawn of the Dead is it's probably my favorite zombie movie, but it does fall into this category when because the almost the entire movie takes place in the shopping mall. So nice. Uh, do you have any more, John? Uh, I've got honorable mentions. Um, okay. H- HT, do you have any more? Um, I'm out. Okay. All right. <laughs> so go ahead and do your last one. Okay, well, my last one is kind of an honorable mention, but it's 127 Hours with James Franco. Yeah. Uh, James Franco is good in everything that he does, even though I only like about half of what he does. <laughs> so, but but uh, it, basically, the, the, the premise is that this guy goes on a hike and he falls into kind of a ravine and he gets his arms stuck between these two rocks and he can't get loose and he was not very smart because he didn't tell anybody where he was going. Uh, he didn't have like a phone with him or anything like that. 
And so nobody knows he's there, and he's stuck there for a few days. 127 hours, actually. And uh, Yeah, and I will not spoil what happens to him at the end, but I will say it's based on a true story, and uh, that's about all that I'll say about you. But you're just you're watching him kind of just be stuck there and he's he's getting hungry he's getting thirsty he's hallucinating he's exposed to the elements and that kind of stuff and it's it's very interesting when you when you can watch an actor that can carry an entire movie by them almost completely by themselves you know that really impresses me that's one of the things i that impressed me about tom hanks when i saw castaway which i almost put that on this list but i didn't think that it really met the criteria enough that would have been interesting yeah. I guess it. I guess it does. It kind of does because he's on the island. But then I saw all yeah. the all the stuff on the plane in the beginning and all the stuff when he went back home. It, it just yeah. like he's it. on the plane and at home longer than you expect. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that happens in the movie after he leaves the island. So I didn't think that it met quite enough. But like I said, he he carries probably seventy percent of the movie all by himself he's the only person on the island talking to a volleyball you know so, so that uh that impressed me that 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 shows me that um you're a better actor than I could ever be if you can carry an entire film and it be a movie that is critically acclaimed and lots and lots of people are spending money to go see and it's just one dude on a screen carrying the movie by himself that's pretty that's pretty impressive so okay go ahead with your with your honorable mentions um. Well, actually, we already mentioned some of them. Uh, Twelve Angry, Twelve Angry Men, yeah. and 127 Hours, which are honorable mentions. Um, My Dinner with Andre, uh, which would you would think is like Wallace Shawn and his friend Andre. I can't remember his last name. Who's who's like a filmmaker, I think, or 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 a theater guy, and they're just having dinner. They're just talking. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's the kind of conversations that, like, you would have with a friend. So it's interesting. But in terms of plot, like, there's no plot. It's just it's just watching these two dudes talk about life and philosophy and art. And, like, as a movie, it kind of shouldn't work, but it works. Um, kind of like a circle, <laughs> aside from being a shape is uh, the movie Cube. Have you ever seen that? With, no, like, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's like five people stuck in this room. Um, and it's an honorable mention for me because they're stuck in this cube and the cube is like attached to other cubes. So basically they're in this huge complex um, of cubes that make one big cube. So I, it didn't quite fit in a single setting for me, even though, I mean, obviously, you know, production-wise, there's just one room. Mm-hmm. But in, in the context of the of the movie, it's it's a bunch of different rooms. So that didn't quite fit. And for the same reason, um, um, Kevin built a maze, which uh, I think that came out last year. Yeah, it came out like late, mid-late last year. Um, and another low budget indie film and basically this guy builds like a little cardboard you know like you make like a little house out yeah. of cardboard yeah. uh, so instead of making a house he makes a labyrinth in his apartment and through some inexplicable magical means it kind of takes on a life of its own and so when you crawl through the doors you're, you're in this cardboard world and it's it is beautifully whimsically remarkably inventive um it's it, i saw it on i saw it on hulu it was it was it was again it was on my list of i want to see that when it comes out in the theaters and i think it was in the theaters for like a day and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh so now it's it's on hulu um and again i couldn't quite call it a one setting thing because while it does all take place inside the labyrinth the labyrinth is like its own world you know, it's like it's like it's like I can't call the Chronicles of Narnia one setting because it all takes place inside the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. And my other honorable mention doesn't quite make the cut is the um, the midnight episode of Doctor Who. 
where he's on the train and like the crystal waterfalls yeah. or whatever. Um, so that's it is a TV like, show. If we put a TV episodes, this would go on forever. I, I, that's why I said it doesn't count. Yeah. But I love that episode. Yeah, it's yes, a good episode. Absolutely does not make, <laughs> meet the criteria because you're right. It's only films. Um, when I was in high school, I was in a, I was in, on the drama team, and I was in a play of Twelve Angry Men. I didn't know that. But there were only two guys in the drama team. <laughs> so, our, <laughs> so, so our play was called 12 angry people. <laughs> and, uh, I played uh, juror number 12 and I had two lines. <laughs> and if you watch the movie juror number 12, I don't know if in the movie they go by numbers. I don't remember, but, uh, I think juror, juror number 12 is the one that every time he talks, he says that, uh, he talks about adver- that he's in advertising, and this is what we do in advertising. Let's run that up the flagpole and see who salutes it, and that kind of stuff, you know. So uh, that's 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 who I played in the film, in the in the play. So a little bit of uh, information about me. <laughs> but, okay, so uh, all right. Well, I guess that's pretty much going to do it for this episode. Hi, Chan. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And everybody, you can hear Hi Chan. She is one of the co-hosts of the Millennial Falcon podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs> yes, SoundCloud, <laughs> iTunes, and Google Play. Okay. And uh, John, thanks for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. And John can be heard on Cosmic Potato and uh, <laughs> and also on the uh, this uh, Simply Syndicated Discovery After Show that we've been doing for the Simply Syndicated Network. Uh, I want to invite all of you to come and uh, check that out. After every episode of Star Trek Discovery, we kind of do a breakdown and, and talk about what happened and what we think is going to happen next and, and that kind of thing. And it's we've been having a lot of fun doing that. And... Rick that you hear uh, on this show frequently is also on that show and he's our resident uh, Star Trek expert so <laughs> so he's uh, he's pretty important to that show so uh, but other than that for this, as far as this ep- this show goes uh, we have a goal in 2018 to really grow the show and we really need your help to do it so uh, come to the new Facebook group that I've created for the show. Uh, join the just look up Cosmic Potato on Facebook and you'll see it. Uh, join the group, leave us some comments, uh, share the links to the show that we put on there so that you can help us really get our name out there. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict on the Android Store, and SoundCloud. And uh, you can you can follow us on all those sites and uh, leave us a rating and a review, and that's going to help us get the show out to new people and, and help more people be able to find us. You can also write us an email at mail at cosmicpotato.com and you can send us a voicemail or a text message by calling area code 205-642-8380. All right. Uh, be sure to join us next week on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast when you might hear John say, hmm. uh, I call this one have you seen that Vin Diesel movie? <laughs> hey, Sean. Hey, John. Have you seen that Vin Diesel movie where he goes back in time and makes friends with a saber-toothed tiger? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's called The Past and the Purious. Oh, no. Oh, God. Hey, HT. <laughs> yes? <laughs> Have you seen that Vin Diesel movie? It's a documentary where a super fan actually gets to hang out with him on the set of his new film. I have not. It's called The Cast and the Curious. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a triple X pun, but you keep doing Fast and Furious. Hey, Sean and HT. Hey. <laughs> hey, John. Have you seen that new Vin Diesel movie? It's about the formation of the Negro Baseball League in the early 1900s. Oh, God. I, oh, I He's perfectly cast for that. <laughs> it's called Pitch Black. Ha, 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 ha.